Thank you for tuning in to The Trisha Goyer Show. I'm sharing my heart and answering questions about faith, writing, homeschool, big family living, and so much more. I'll also be digging deep into meaningful conversations with other authors, speakers, moms, and God lovers. I'm your host, Trisha Goyer, wife to John, mom of 10, author of over 80 books, speaker, homeschooler, avid reader, and mega nap taker. I'm so glad you're here. Hello, friends. This is Trisha Goyer here, and I'm here with my sweet friend, Michelle Cachette. Uh, First of all, Michelle, welcome. It's so (laughs) good to see you. I miss your face. Same. Oh my gosh. I miss you. I see you online all the time. Of course, that's what happens, right? It's like, it's kind of like passing in the hallway when we were in high school, but worse because we can't like reach out and go, yo, what's going on? But I pass you online and it just makes me me miss you all the more. Yes. And so Michelle and I got to go to South Africa seven years ago now. (laughs) It was the best time. I just love the time there. There's just the deep conversations. I realized how much we have in common with Mm -hmm kids from hard places, all the things. But for those who aren't familiar with you, Michelle, why don't you just start by just telling us a little bit about yourself? Okay. Uh, uh, Personally, I'm married to Troy. We have six kids, ages 31, 29, 26, 16, 16, 16. So we'll just leave that sitting there for a while. I could like, yeah, I (laughs) could... My, my oldest is 33 and my youngest is 12. So you I, get it. We, we get yeah, it. Yeah, you get it. Like you're constantly straddling, straddling adult kids and teenage kids. And then just to make it more spicy, you add in like a history of trauma and mm. all that kind of stuff. And you're like, hey, let's have a good time. And it's just chaos all the time. Yeah. Yes, yes, so true. <laughs> um, but those are my kids, four boys, two girls. Uh, professionally, I'm an author and a speaker. I have, I've traveled for years and years and years speaking um, I've written four books. Most recent just came out yesterday. And then um, I'm also an executive coach. So I do a lot of presentation coaching and um, also business coaching, executive coaching with CEOs, executives, leaders. I'm really trying to help them embody their um, their unique calling as a leader mm-hmm. in a way that is healthy for them and also their people. So that's kind of a little bit about me. And I live in Colorado, which is quite frankly, the best part of my life is that I get to live in Colorado. Colorado's amazing and beautiful. <laughs> yes. And yes. Yeah. So the book that you mentioned is a faith that will not fail. Yeah. Ten practices to build up your faith when your world is falling apart. I have a copy around here somewhere. I was digging around it's my okay. house. It's one of those things like, I know I have it around here somewhere. I also <laughs> hey. have the audiobook. I also have the audiobook, which oh. you narrated. Yes. So I'm like, I can listen to my friend. Yeah, you're so sweet. Yeah. The, the audio is always very um, special to me. So a little bit more about my stories. I've had head and neck cancer three times. And uh, the last time of which was pretty advanced. And so it required me to lose two thirds of my tongue as well as multiple lymph nodes and submandibular gland and all that kind of fun stuff. And then they did radiation, which basically burned me from nose to chest, including my vocal cords. So uh, the fact that I can speak at all is nothing short of a miracle, but the fact that I could record uh, you know, a 270 page book, which, you know, was like two days of nonstop talking. That is like quite an accomplishment for me. Miracle upon miracle. (laughs) And I remember, so when we were in South Africa, it was right after your, wasn't it just your surgery was recent? Uh, Yeah. So we were that you took or at least long trip. Yeah. It was, uh, it was almost a year. It was like 10, 11 months after, 
um, my recovery. Actually, no, it was a, a year. It was like um, right over a year since my most recent surgery. Uh, but it took me two years to recover. So I was still very much in my recovery at that point, trying to come back to life, learning. You know, when you lose your speech or your, your functionality, it impacts your ability to eat, to drink, yeah. to talk, to swallow, to cough. You know, all of those things were impacted. And so, yeah, it took, it took a good two years to get back. I never got back to 100%, but to get back to about 90% of my functionality. So. Yeah, and, and then we got to spend time with Troy. Troy was there too. Yes. Like, the greatest guy. We just had the best time. It was, uh, I still remember being in the green room and the fun snacks, you know, all the South African things that they had there. They had this chili sauce. Yes. That was so yummer. Remember that? And just even, yeah. I mean, the speaking was fun, but our conversations behind the scenes were incredibly rich. Yeah. And so, of course, when I see the title of your new book, A Faith That Will Not Fail, and thinking about all that you've gone through, the conversations we've had of kids from hard places, I'm like, yes. I mean, this, I, I could see why this is her story. This is so much of her life. As I started listening to it on audiobook, it is so much of your life. And I love the premise of the book, which is, you know, why do some people stay strong when the world falls apart? And then why do some crumble? And I think that mm -hmm. really is what we talk about. That is what we want, that foundation, that faith. That will not fail. So why were you just saying like, this is the book I need to write? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so much of my other writings, I, I write narrative nonfiction and memoir. That's really, I'm all about story, which means you and I do similar things. You write fiction, you yeah. write nonfiction as well, but you write fiction. I just do that with the truth, mm -hmm. <laughs> with like a real story. And, um, but I realized that as, you know, I talk about faith and suffering in this kind of narrative format, but I wanted to make something that was extremely practical and a go-to resource for people who are in hard places. Because yes. I realized when I was in my darkest seasons, and I've had many of them, um, I didn't, you know, so much of our conversations about faith and God and suffering mm -hmm. are up here on the very intense, nebulous level. And I needed something to just help me get through a day. You know, yes, what could exactly. help me get through today, this moment? And so my heart behind this was, how can I take what I've learned through 30 years of suffering, but that's a long time, by the way, 30 years of that, mm -hmm. and boil it down into real-time, practical lifelines for the person who is in the trenches themselves, or for the person who has a friend who is. Yeah. And what your story is, I mean, you talk about 30 years of suffering. Um, you know, sometimes there's a book for cancer survivors. There's a book for parents of kids from hard places. There's a book for people who have had a parent um, have a you know hard illness. And then mm -hmm. and there's books about divorce and single parent and remarriage. Uh, but this is all part of your story. And we would lay it out like that. Yeah. I mean, sometimes I know I have been on the floor in the fetal position. Mm -hmm especially with the kids at hard places, that has been the hardest thing for me. Mm -hmm. There's lots of other stuff, but that has just been like, cause it's so daily. You're just pouring out love. And it seems like it's, it's kind of a thankless. So, it, yeah. it is so hard. And I'm like, God, like why? Like, you knew, like, you're supposed to love me. <laughs> like you, you knew how hard this would be. I feel so ill-prepared. I feel so battered. Like, why would you allow this to happen? I mean, has that question been in your mind oh, yeah. been through your thoughts? And then, of course, we have a faith that will not fail. How do we come out of having mm -hmm. those questions to like, okay, I'm still going to trust God. I'm still going to mm -hmm. hold on to that faith. Those are, I mean, such important questions that you're asking and they're big ones, right? These are the ones that we wrestle with when we don't know what to hang on to anymore, where yeah. to stand anymore. 
yes, I wrestled with that not just once, over and over and over again. There are still days. Uh, before mm -hmm. we went online, I told you there were some hard moments yesterday with mm -hmm. uh, one of uh, my children. And boy, it is so quick for me to be in emotional pain in an important relationship and go right to, why God, why won't you do something, right? Mm -hmm. It just so, there's such a, it's like not hard to get from point A to point B because it's painful. I think, I, you know, the process to work through that and get out of it is, first of all, we just have to acknowledge that it's a very real and legitimate yes. loss, right? Yeah. <laughs> and you talk, you talk about that book, like, it's okay to acknowledge, like, this is really hard right now. This is like, painful. And that's something I don't feel like we as the church, Big C Church, Christians mm -hmm. as a whole, have done a great job with, at least in current times, of allowing people and ourselves space to simply say, this is awful. I'm in pain. I, this is unbearable. I am suffering and allow people to feel it without too quickly telling them, Oh, chin up. God is good. I mean, yes, he is good, but he can be good. And we can also simultaneously acknowledge that this is not the way it's supposed to be. This is yes. excruciating. And I feel like my heart is breaking and it's okay mm -hmm. to do that, to say that. Yeah, yeah, their quote says, we think to mourn our loss is to be less unfaithful. As a result, we tamp down grief, plaster on a, a spiritual smile, and pretend like everything is okay. But that doesn't help us, does no, it? Like no. when we're just, yeah. So, I did that for years. It did not help. All it did is continue to stuff this grief into a place that it was just a matter of time before it was like a volcano, right? You know, I was just tamping down, covering up the reality of my losses. And it was eating away at me physically, emotionally, spiritually, all of it. And uh, a faith that will not fail tells the truth about our desperate condition. And that's really that practice of lament that I talk about in the book. It is, it is not only okay, I believe it's necessary for our souls to acknowledge the losses because that's what Jesus died for is to redeem that. So why wouldn't we have permission to tell the truth about it, right? Yeah, yeah. And really when we're just just trying to push it down. Like you said, first of all, it might, you're right. But other times, like if you're holding away that emotion, it's almost like you have to hold off the good emotions to anything. Totally. Because you're just putting that wall around. And I know you go through so much of your stories in the book and um, just how to deal with that grief and how to, how to truly lament. But for someone who's listening in this moment, you know, go get the book for sure. <laughs> Read it, listen to it like I am. Yeah. Um, but in this moment, there might be a listener right here. That's like, I, that's me. Mm -hmm. I mean, can you just give them like a minute oh, of, of yeah. something that could hold to in this moment? You know, for the person, because I know there's somebody right now that literally is in that fetal position, like mm -hmm. barely hanging on They're, You know, I can picture them. They're laying in bed, scrolling Facebook, looking, you know, because yeah. they are just so overwhelmed by life and they've numbed out and they just can't bear it anymore. I get that. I've been there. Mm -hmm. I've been there multiple times. Mm -hmm. uh, what I want you to know in this place is that Jesus can and will and does find you there. Sometimes we think it's our job to dig out and to somehow, you know, crawl our way to God. No, you know what? Amen. He is a shepherd that leaves the 99 and goes and finds the lost sheep, right? Amen. It wasn't about the lost sheep finding their way back to the pen. It was all about the compassion and love of a savior going to find the one that was lost. And this is what we need to hang on to because I think we shame ourselves for mm -hmm. our very real losses and grief that we experience yet. But Jesus goes and finds us. One of my favorite verses is um, 
I believe it's John 14, 18, where he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Oh, yeah. And and just right. knowing that he is coming. My favorite verse is Zephaniah 3, 17, where God okay. is singing over us. And it's the same type of thing. Like we want him like just to know that he's there and that like we can be pitiful, miserable, angry, grumpy, all the things. All and he, he is still there and not to feel shame. And you talk about that too, because mm-hmm. you say that shame steals the significance. When we feel the shame of I'm doing something wrong. I'm not being faithful. Mm-hmm. I need to do this. I need to pull myself out of this. That doesn't help us no, at all. So yeah, talk about, talk about that shame. Cause I think oh. we feel like if I were a better Christian, I'd be handling this better. Or I should be able to worship <laughs> oh, God even in yes. this darkness or whatever. Yeah. So. Yeah. We equate the presence of our emotions with a lack of faith. Mm. So we tend to think that if I'm feeling really big, ugly emotions about this, then I must not have enough faith. All I want to do in answer to that is point to the garden of Gethsemane. Yeah. When Jesus oh. was in the garden on Good Friday, before mm. his crucif- his arrest, crucifixion, and death, he mourned and wept, and he was in agony. The words used there are for agony. I mean, his um, his his suffering came mm. out physically. He was so impacted by his internal suffering that it impacted him physically. He um, did not lack faith. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was literally in God's presence saying, God, if you, if possible, take this from me, but not as I will, but as you will. He had all the faith in the world that God was with him for him. Mm -hmm. And yet he had big emotions. And I think Mm -hmm. that right there um, is so obvious to us that just the presence of emotion doesn't mean a lack of faith. Uh, Now, as far as the shame piece of that, it's really important to remember too that we have suffering and then we have normal human response to it. But then what our enemy loves to do is the suffering's mm-hmm. not enough. He's going to pile on shame on top of yeah. that. Yeah. So then we are not only carrying the burden of our suffering, um, but then we're carrying this burden of shame as well. Go to First John where it says so clearly that perfect love drives out fear. Yes. Perfect love. There is no shame in perfect love. There may be guilt at times. Some of our consequences are suffering as a result of our choices. Okay, but don't let shame... Mm-hmm. convince you that God has separated his love from you because Romans 8 says nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing, nothing. Oh. His love is there for the taking. Uh, and so we just need to acknowledge shame for what it is. It's a means of the enemy trying to keep us from the love of God. And we're not going to do that. That is so good. And that's just so good. Like to pause and say like, okay, first of all, you mentioned there's sometimes we do face consequences. And so there might be some times we say, okay, do I need to confess something? Is there something I need to do to renew this relationship with God? But there's times where we can really say like, I know I have not sinned, like, but this is still painful. And I feel guilty because I cannot worship God in this moment because it's so dark and, and overwhelming. Um, And then realize that that shame is from the enemy and that God is still there. And he understands our weakness. He understands our tears. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And he, he wants to be there with us. Uh, We're reading through the um, old Testament in the, I'm doing a daily podcast, uh, daily Bible podcast. And I I remember even Moses, when you mentioned Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane, Moses was like, take these people. Like, like, (laughs) I am so tired of these people. And then God's like, well, you know, I will strengthen you. I will power you Uh with my right hand, all the things, but all these great leaders, when you mentioned Moses is like this great leader in the old Testament, Jesus, who did not sin, still had emotions. I'm like, Mm -hmm. 
this is such a good thing mm-hmm. that we need to hear and to realize mm-hmm. like if those shameful thoughts are coming, we're feeling like, like we're doing something wrong or we can't pull ourselves out. It's okay to have those emotions, but then lift our eyes to Jesus, realize exactly. he's there and he's okay. And he can handle our tears. He can handle he our can handle frustration. It. He can handle it. Um, oh, that's such, you good. know, and I know, you know, this with your experience of kids from hard places, but even with my own processing medical trauma, the many traumas mm-hmm. in my life, mm-hmm. uh, you know, when we have big emotions, when our, when our brain and body senses danger, it's like an alarm goes off in our head, a smoke detector, right? It's just beeping. We all know what that's like. The smoke detector right. going off at right. two o'clock in the morning. The thing about a smoke detector is it's not going to stop beeping until you take care of it. Mm-hmm. We need to look at our emotions the same way that we have to acknowledge them in order for them to become something we can regulate and work through. The more we ignore them or shame ourselves through them, that fire alarm continues to go off. And when I started to understand that, that my emotions are something, they're an indicator, something that I need to pay attention to, they don't drive the whole show, but mm-hmm. they need to be acknowledged. And when I acknowledge them and then do acknowledge that they're there and it's real, then I can work through them towards some kind of health. Yeah, that's so good. And I know one of the things you talk about is shifting, because if our circumstances are going to change, it's really shifting our knowledge of God and our thoughts of God. Okay, so let's dig into this and how do we do that? Because (laughs) uh, with me, because I think I wasn't realizing the smoke detector thing, I would just feel start feeling this overwhelming. And then I got my smartwatch, which then I see, oh, my blood pressure is going up. So my emotions are making a physical response. And I can, I'm so like, sometimes you just get so used to living in that state, you don't realize it. So I would go to my room, shut the door, which when you have a lot of kids and a lot of house, it's hard to do. Hard to do. <laughs> and just start, okay, I'm going to think about God right now. I'm going to uh-huh. turn my thoughts to him. I would put on praise music. I would put on my Bible app and read, have Psalms read to me. Uh, those are some ways, but I would love to hear how do we yeah. shift those moments where we're feeling that fire alarm going off that we could say, no, this is my knowledge of who God is. Cause that really the circumstances aren't always going to change, but that yeah. knowledge of God will change everything. And we do need to choose to turn our face toward truth versus mm-hmm. a lie or a narrative that's not true. And and one of the things that I share in the book, I share a story of there was a day where one of my daughters was just, she got so angry at me and she was inconsolable and she was just let me have it. This was a couple of years ago. But she was just saying things like she was completely triggered, and she was saying things like, "You're the worst mom in the world. You're just okay." I, I've got all those things. Like, yeah, <laughs> people think you're such a great mom, and online I'm they like, just oh, think you're yeah. wonderful. And I know that you're. Oh my god! Oh my goodness. If you only yeah. knew, I hear yeah. that I'm the worst mom in the world quite often. So, yeah. I mean, you're the worst mom in the world. And I stopped her. I was one of the rare moments that I actually handled it very maturely. Yeah, <laughs> I was calm, and I stopped her, and I said don't you remember just an hour ago? And she stopped because just an hour ago I was sitting on the couch and she had crawled up next to me and laid in my lap and I had held her head and played with her hair and just loved on her. But what happened is, is in the stress of the next moment, the next crisis, Mm -hmm. she had completely forgotten the reality of the affection that I had shown Mm -hmm. her just an hour before. And as I wrote in the book, I said, don't we do the same with God? Mm -hmm. Right? So some of the key to us enduring this moment when we feel like God has abandoned us is our intentional ability to go back and remember the sweetness of God's faithfulness to us in previous moments. 
we can't always recollect that in the moment of our crisis or catastrophe, right? So we need to create memories where we write them down or we record them somewhere or we have images, something, you know, kind of like Joshua did in the Old Testament of creating these altar stones. We yeah. need to capture moments when God has been faithfulness to us. So when we have these moments where we feel like he's abandoned us, we can go back and remind our own selves mm -hmm. <laughs> that he is good. I don't understand what's happening right now. I may even be triggered by another loss or fear or pain or whatever, but I have a whole collection of evidence of God's goodness with me. And I can trust that if he delivered me, then he's going to deliver me again. Yeah. And just that glimmer of hope sometimes is all you need. Like when everything just looks so dark and hard, it's mm -hmm. like, I, like you were there during this time. You were there, God, during this time. Um, and yeah, we just need that, that glimmer of hope, that glimmer of yes. light to cling to. And um, sometimes like you go to your bedroom. For me, it's saying it out loud, going, going mm -hmm. to my room and actually saying out loud and opposing um, narrative. Like if I'm developing, I'm really good at ruminating and swirling yeah. things around in my head. I'm just extremely talented at that. So what I have to do though, in order to get that cycle, that spin mm -hmm. cycle to stop is speak out loud a different truth. Like yeah. to really take control of how I'm speaking. I do the same. I go to my room, shut the door, turn on music, something soft. Um, there's all kinds of practical things, but one of the best things that helps me is to go, to literally tell myself, nope, you're not going to unravel about this. You're not going to forget what God has done for you. You're not going to worry yourself into a tizzy here. God is good. God is with you. He does love you. You can trust it. You know, just intentionally speaking, declaring a different a narrative. Yeah. And I think so many times if, if we aren't feeling it, like picking up, I know this book is going to be uh, one I'm going to turn to again, but like Lisa Turker, some of her books have been mm -hmm. good. Um, that uh, When God Doesn't Make Sense by James Dobson. Yeah, I, I mean, that th those types of things, reading through those things, sometimes I just open it up in this random place and like, okay, someone else lived through this. Someone else lived through yes. hard times. Um, and I think your book again is going to be another one on my shelf that's going to be, this is what I turn to because sometimes we feel like we're so alone. Yeah, and we're, totally. we're reminded of someone else has gone through this stuff. Someone else is turning her attention to God. Someone else is speaking truth to herself right now. And I can do this too. We yes. all need that. And I think, and what I love about, I mean, the fact that we're authors, we could look back over our books and see yes. how, how God has been there, how God has changed. I'll, I'm reminded, you know, I'll be at a conference and someone will say, this story that you shared about this really impacted me. Like, Oh, I forgot about that. <laughs> I'm so glad that that is recorded somewhere. There are times like, I'll, I'll open my own book and go, did yeah. I really write that? And I'm like, oh, yeah. that's helpful. <laughs> it is, and, and it reminds me like, oh, like you were saying, that remembrance. Yes. We have written testimony mm -hmm. of the things that God did. And I'm so thankful that we have that. Otherwise, I probably, if I hadn't written it down in that book or article or blog post or whatever, I would have forgotten those moments. And so even if you're not a writer, you know, do voice text to yourself or yes. jot stuff down in a journal or, you know, think of ways that you can remind yourself, do sticky notes and put them into a box or anything that can help you remember because we are yes. so forgetful. And so I think we need to be um, reminded. Now I have a couple questions because I asked on okay. my Facebook. Um, and Jenny said she wanted to know how and why your faith has deepened over time. So that's one of the questions that she had. How and why my faith has deepened over time. 
Well, oh, that's such a good question. And it has been over time. I think that's mm-hmm. a key phrase. It's not like I just woke up one day and, oh, look at me. I'm just so faithful. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. not how it works. And honestly, the growth of my faith has been a direct result of the countless oppositions against it, the things that have overcome. Like, we don't want that to have, be I the know. reason. <laughs> it's kind of like if you want to build up muscles, I'm getting older, by the way, I'm in my 50s now. And I'm getting older. <laughs> I know, it's like, oh. um, I think our birthdays are, I think we're like really close in age. I think we are, yeah. Um, but uh, I'm learning that, you know, you lose muscle strength over time. If I want to build up muscle strength, the only way to build up strength is to intentionally invite resistance. Mm. right? Like you have to have a weight to push against. You have to have to go walk and push against the pavement, whatever it may be. But the same is true for our faith. If we really want to build up, that's an active word, build up our faith. The reality is the hard seasons are exactly what help accomplish that. Yeah. And if we can somehow learn to Um, Yes, acknowledge the pain of those hard seasons, but also reframe it and realize that there is going to be some treasure, some riches, some kind of secret that we're going to experience in this really, really dark place that we won't be able to get any other place. That makes this a sacred time, not just a time of suffering. It makes it just holy and sacred. Uh, I've had that, uh, again, over the last year, as I was writing this book, we encountered multiple um, a different crises, uh, additional crises. It doesn't matter what they are, but I've just, I'm like, really, you want me to write about faith while my, <laughs> my life is falling apart? Awesome. God, yeah, thank yeah. you so much. Um, but now that it's been, you know, kind of 30 years of that kind of experience, I was able to say, I was able to tell myself, remind myself, don't miss the beauty here, because there's going to be something that Jesus is going to do in the middle of this horrific time that he wouldn't be able to accomplish any other way. So don't miss it. Pay attention. That's so good. That's so good. Because we, we have seen him work and we know that he's going to work again. And which ties into the last question that we have from online. How do we pass these stories down to our children and grandchildren? You and I I can like hand our kids our book, not that they ever I don't know. I don't know what your kids, my kids most of the time don't read my books. <laughs> no, they don't read mine. They won't read my Instagram posts. So I just have to do a lot of mini Instagram posts. But if, you know, in other ways beyond books or Instagram, how can we share yeah. what God has done in our lives with our children and our grandchildren? Oh, I, first of all, I want to commend, who was it that asked that question? Jenny. It was Jenny. Yeah. Jenny, thank you for asking. That is such a beautiful question that you're even thinking in terms of how do we capture what God's done for our future generations? I think that's a beautiful question. One thing we've got to do is we've got to make it tangible. You know, it can't be just something that's in the rear view mirror. We have to somehow make it tangible and accessible so we can talk about it. Uh, in my book, Relentless, which is the one I released three years ago, I talked about creating an altar of remembrance like mm-hmm. Joshua and the Israelites in the Old Testament. And I give you kind of some um, steps to be able to take to create your own altar of remembrance. In Joshua, uh, you know, God tells uh, the Israelites to go back into the Jordan River and pull out 12 stones and set them up as an altar of remembrance. And he said, so in the future, when your children and grandchildren ask you what these stones mean, you can tell them what God has done for you. I paraphrase, but that's yeah, exactly. That's, yeah. Um, and that's what we're supposed to do. I think sometimes 
at this stage in my life, I'm looking back at my 50 years and I see a lot of regrets. Mm -hmm. I see things I wish I would have done differently, things that I, mistakes I wish I wouldn't have made, ways I wish I would have been a better mom or, you know, whatever. But I think rather than focusing so much on that, one thing we can do is look back and say, boy, I really blew it, but look what God did. Right. Yes. Can, rather than just making it about ourselves, how can we look back on our past and reframe it and communicate to our kids about it? Of look at God's faithfulness. Yes. Look at how he's helped me to grow. Look what he's done in your life as mm -hmm. you've grown and matured. I see how God has helped our family. Boy, we've had a lot of hard times and boy, we didn't do it right. But look at how he's worked through us to get us to this point and reflecting mm -hmm. on the journey and the process. I think doing that rather than focusing on the, you know, the things that went awry to focus on the ways that God delivered. That's the key to helping to cement that for the future generation. Yeah, and it's so good. And sometimes we don't even realize that these hard things we go through and our kids seeing the way we're walking it out is the biggest testimony that we can give. Yeah. They may never listen to our words or read our books or you know do the things, but mm -hmm. when they see us, when they face hard times, they will remember, remember us. And remember, even though we failed sometimes, I mean, we did, we got up and turned our attention to God and sought him in those moments. Yes. And that, that is going to help them more than anything else in life. That's hard for me to remember. I, I yeah. tend to focus on, like, keep a tally of all my mistakes because I just so much want to get it right. And yet, what is that teaching my kids? That they have yeah. to do it all right all the time? A better thing to teach them is, uh, is this idea of, of repentance and redemption mm. and overcoming. That's a better skill set to teach them. Repentance, redemption, and overcoming. That's that's the gospel embodied. And if we could I teach them that. that rather than getting it all right all the time, that then we've given them just a glorious skill set to take into the future. I might, that might need to be your next book, Michelle, oh. right there. <laughs> <laughs> Don't talk to me about your next book yet. Don't talk to me about giving birth to another baby at this point. Exactly. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> I'll bring this up in a year from now when we're together in Europe or I don't know. I'm just putting that out there. <laughs> we, we love traveling together if anyone wants to bring us. I know. Bring us. <laughs> Trish and I are quite a riot to have together. Come on. Yeah, we love it. Okay. Again, the book is A Faith That Will Not Fail, 10 Practices to Build Up Your Faith When Your World is Falling Apart by Michelle Cachette. Um, of course, audiobook, mm -hmm. all the places books are sold, but where can people go if they just want to connect with you, yeah. find out about your other books? Um, where can they go? The easiest place to get access to everything is my website. It's michellecachat.com. It's Michelle with one L, Kashat with two T's. It has links to my YouTube account, my Instagram account, my Facebook account. Um, I post videos on YouTube sometimes, mm -hmm. definitely on Instagram. Instagram is probably where I spend most of my time and Facebook. Uh, but even on my website, I have tons of free resources for people that are wrestling with their faith in hard places. That's what I'm all about. I want to resource people. I want you to feel like you are not alone because you are not. And that's you the best place alone. to go there and find it. Oh, well, thank you, dear friend, for being here today. I love seeing you. I love seeing you too. Thank you for tuning in to the Trisha Goyer Show. I hope you received help and inspiration. That's what I'm here for. Now, remember, if you would like to submit a question, email it to hello at trishagoyer.com. And I can't wait until we connect again.